My name is Sirish, I'm one of the elders here, um, and we're looking at the Gospel of John, uh, we're looking at different events and different chapters of uh, the Gospel of John, and today we're looking at uh, chapter 2, a wonderful event taking place in the Gospel of John. So if you've got a Bible, um, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 to 12. So it's John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and it'll be projected on the screen as well. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. This is the Word of God, an event taking place in the Gospel of John, a wonderful event, as John describes it, one of the first signs that Jesus did. Now, just before we get into that, again, I'd like to give a bit of background and context, because we think it's talking about a wedding, and we may think we know what a wedding is. But I'd like to disagree with some of you in here and tell you that the wedding at the time of Jesus and in that culture was a bit different. Since living in this country, I've had so many culture shocks and I keep coming across them. But one of the biggest ones, uh, the biggest culture shock I had and the biggest difference I saw was in how we do weddings here and where I come from. Now, I'll explain a bit about differences uh, as we go along. And, um, it's just really for us to have a bigger picture of what Jesus was being involved in at the time. The weddings at the time of Jesus and still in that part of the world are not planned on a spreadsheet. The first time I came across a wedding and I was actually invited to it, a good friend of mine was planning the wedding. And then he said, oh, can you do this bit? Can you help us with this bit? And I just said yes, without even checking with Mavash. I said, yeah, of course we can. Yeah, it's just a wedding. We'll celebrate and dance and drink and eat, and then we'll just do whatever you want us. He said, no, no, but it, I really need to make sure that you're there at this particular hour and do, doing this. And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, who else is helping? He got the spreadsheet out, and there was timing, exact timing to the minute about what's going to take place. People are going to arrive. And I was thinking... I can plan the same thing, maybe for work, but not for a wedding. But even if I plan it for a wedding, for people from a Middle Eastern culture, it's not going to happen because they're going to turn up late. Nobody's going to do what you ask them to do at the right time. They're just going to do what feels right to them at the time. And then as people come in uh, for weddings in the Middle East, if you tell them at 5 o'clock, they'll turn up at 5 o'clock, but maybe the next day. They'll turn up a bit late. Whereas in here, as Simon was talking about the nations uh, a few weeks ago on one of his sermons, 
if you turn up later at a wedding, particularly if you're part of the family, close family to uh, bride and groom, or if you actually happen to be the bride and the groom, if you turn up late, then people may even think that the wedding's been called off. But whereas in the time of Jesus, people were probably waiting for the bride and groom to turn up, and they just came casually as and when they felt like it. And people at the time of Jesus wouldn't just go into a wedding looking at the list of the tables, looking at the numbers on the chairs, finding where they've been assigned to, sit around the table and talk really politely about different things to other people around the table, particularly about the weather and at worst about the Brexit. No, people would go in and they would usually try to find the first seat available because then you'd be promoted. As Jesus said to his disciples, when you go in, don't take the best seat because when somebody comes in with a better position, you'll, you'll be demoted. Just find the first seat and then people will elevate you. So that's how it usually happens. And all the elders and people who are older would get the best seat and then everybody else would be dancing in the middle. You wouldn't usually need tables and seats except for when you eat. So Jesus was invited to a wedding. Now to me that was a bit of a surprise because you don't usually need invites for that sort of weddings as well. If you're part of a family, close family or a relative or friend or neighbor or if you're affiliated with that particular family that has a wedding going on, in any form or shape, you just assume you're invited. You don't need an invitation. It's only the elders in the family who get an invite, and it's not an invite on a card with a deadline for RSVP. It's an invite that you go in in person and ask for the honor of them being in your wedding. So Jesus is invited. It also says that his disciples were invited. If they weren't specifically, because they were friends with Jesus, they would have gone for... uh, Anyway, so Mabush's brother got married. They were thinking about 500 guests coming along, but they cooked for 1,000 guests. And it's perfectly normal and perfectly fine, just like with the time of Jesus. You invite a person, 12 disciples will follow as well. And you can't say, well, you weren't invited. I'm really sorry. Can you go home and come back for the reception? It doesn't work that way. Now, I'm going to tell you, the most important thing about that wedding and many of the weddings I've been invited to in this nation, which I didn't really see in the weddings that I was part of um, or I was invited to back home, is a great difference. And that is the presence of Jesus. And that's the most important difference. Regardless of how we celebrate things, and as much as I love you, my British friends, I'm not sure you're the best at celebrating things, but... but (laughs) Jesus is the main thing. And in that wedding, he is invited. Now, young people, um, if you're getting married, if you're thinking of getting married, if you're planning for things, make sure you invite Jesus. Whatever you do, however you do your wedding, make sure you invite him in there. And I guarantee that he'll be there. He will send his spirit there. And as his disciples, of course, we'll follow along as well and we'll come as well. So if you're cooking for 500, make sure you cook for 1,000. Jesus was invited. There's a wedding in the town. There's lots of fun going on. Jesus was about fun. He was okay with having fun. He's God. He created fun. And the weddings are loud. There's lots of people going on, uh, dancing. There's children in the middle. There's all the people talking. There's young and old dancing in the middle. If you've ever been in a wedding like that, you would probably know what it's like. We don't hear that Jesus was just sat there quietly looking at people, judging them, thinking, 
what is he doing? Uh, he's, I'm going to cross him off the list of my disciples. He's, no, I don't like his moves. Or actually the other person, he's looking a bit grim. I, yeah, he's looking a bit sad. I like him. He doesn't enjoy parties. I'm going to get him as one of my disciples. He's that type. No, we don't read that. Jesus was having fun. Jesus was part of that social circle. He was there. He was part of the wedding. And then suddenly something happens. Everything's going fine. The guests are coming along. They're all having fun. But something's going on there that not many people know about. The wine is running out. Now, I know to many of us in here, it's a disaster. No wine? Come on. How can you get by on a Sunday evening? But there's a wedding in there, and they're running out of wine. There's whispers going on. And Mary is actually aware that wine is running out. Now, that is not just about wine running out. It's about the sort of embarrassment and shame that every person affiliated with that wedding would feel, particularly the groom himself. For all we know, he was supposed to provide for a family from this day onward. He's supposed to look after his wife financially. He's supposed to provide for his wife and then the children that will follow on. But he can't even provide wine for the guests in this wedding. In that culture and at that time, it's a big embarrassment. It is a big shame. It's a wedding that everybody's going to remember, not because of that lovely barbecue that was there or because of the hog roast that was there and there was plenty of it. Everybody's going to remember it as the wedding where the wine ran out. The embarrassment and the shame is going to be like a label on that particular family. And Mary knows about it, and she's very clever, isn't she? She goes to one particular person, i.e. Jesus, and says, they've run out of wine. Just one sentence. Now, if you're a mother here, you would know, and you would expect the children to know. When you just say one particular sentence, they should know everything about it. And children, if you can't work out what your mothers mean, then don't worry, that makes the two of us, really. Jesus in here hears from his mother that they've run out of wine, but he can work out what she really means. But he's God, so don't worry. Don't be embarrassed if you can't work out. He just comes, she, she comes and says, they're running out of wine. Now, Mary comes because she knows who Jesus is. She comes and says, son, I know who you really are. You grew up in my belly. I know who you are. You remember the other time when you were three and you were in the bathwater and you told me, mom, do you want me to do a Moses and split the waters? I knew who you were at the time. Or the other, the other time when you were four and you said, mom, do you want me to do a moonwalk on the water? I knew who you were, that's why I wasn't surprised. You're God. And I've come here to tell you they're running out of wine. And then Jesus, he replies. What does he say? Now I know to many of you it's a big shock. He says, woman. He addresses his mother as woman. Now boys, don't learn that because it'll probably be the last word you ever say if you address your mothers like that. Yet, trust me, don't ever do that. But Jesus said, woman. Now, it may come across as a bit offensive to many of you here, but it's really, really difficult to translate. Now, that doesn't necessarily make it okay, but it's really difficult to translate into English what Jesus said. Now, what he was really saying was, what's it to do with me? What have I got to do with it? It's not my time yet. What Jesus meant by that was that, Mary, I provided for you, 
I was the perfect child. Now, parents, you never thought the two words would go together in a sentence. Jesus was the perfect child, and Mary knew that. Jesus was saying to Mary, look, I provided for you, I cared for you, I did everything. You never complained about me. I was the best at school. You were always proud of me. But I'm here for more than just that, for more than just being the perfect child. I'm here for more than just looking after you. I've got a bigger mission. And I'm really sorry you can't really see that bigger vision and picture. It's just because you're merely human. I am human, but I'm also God. So I can see that, that you can't really see it. But I'm here because my Father has sent me on a mission. I'm here because I've got a bigger thing to focus on. So he's just simply saying to Mary, look, I'm just more than a perfect son. There's a line being drawn here. I've got a bigger thing to focus on. Now, I'm not going to let you tell me what to do. Of course, I will respect you and honor you, but my father tells me what to do, my heavenly father. Now, there was around the 20th uh, birthday celebration, a word brought about a line being drawn in the sand. It was very similar to what Jesus was saying to Mary. Look, things are about to change. We are into a new season. And if you were around at the time and heard the prophecy, I want to to encourage you to take hold of it and see it in reality that a line has been drawn in the sand. Now, Jesus is also thinking of the groom who is feeling embarrassed and ashamed. Have you ever felt embarrassed and ashamed? Do you feel that sort of shame sometimes in your heart? Not the sort of embarrassment when your credit card is declined at the shop and there's a queue of three people at the back looking at you. Not the sort of embarrassment where you congratulate a woman for being pregnant where she's not. Not the sort of uh, embarrassment you've still got food on your teeth. Not the sort of things. A shame that's really gripping in your heart. A shame that is there and feels heavy on your heart. Something that you probably think nobody else knows about, but let me assure you, one person does, at least. It's God himself. The sort of shame that's really dark. The sort of shame that is there feeling really heavy on your heart. The sort of shame that really steals your joy. The sort of shame that doesn't allow you to come forward, although you know that Jesus is the fountain of life. Although you know that in him you can find freedom. This shame is so big that you can't even take a step forward because you think, I'm not worthy. Or because you think, I've got this in my heart. I can't really go and be friends with Jesus until this is sorted. That is the sort of shame that that groom would have felt. But if that's you, then don't worry because you're in the right place. There's a solution to it. And he's called Jesus. So Jesus knows about the sort of shame and embarrassment this person would feel. And Mary told him, look, they've run out of wine. They're going to be embarrassed. I know you're all about wiping tears off. I gave you birth, and before you were put in my belly, somebody told me that you are Emmanuel, that you are going to bring changes about, that you are going to set people free, that you are the answer to everything, that you are the Messiah, that you are the Savior. Now, will you start by doing this? Will you take the shame away? Will you show something in here? And when she said, told off, called woman, she doesn't give up. What she says is, after Jesus tells her, woman, what's it to do with me? She just says to the servants, do what he tells you. That is faith. 
She's not just ignoring the answer she heard from Jesus, saying, oh, um, I can do that, I can just ignore him, pretending I didn't hear you, and pretend that you said, all right, I'll do something about it, I'll just send one of my disciples around the corner, in the corner shop and to grab a couple of bottles. She just ignores that, and she has faith. She sell, tells the servants, do what he tells you. That's faith, and that's what's different about the people of God. That's what marks us out. Because we have faith. Although we may not necessarily see, we know, we believe, we have faith, we hope in the things that we may not see, but we know will come true. So the servants do what Jesus tells them. What do they do? There's six jars of water. They use it for ceremonial washing. Sometimes their hands, sometimes the whole body. It's a matter of purification. It's just so that when they go before God, they feel that they're clean and they can enter the holy presence of God. Jesus says, fill them up. Now, some of the servants probably think at this time, Jesus has had far too much wine. He can't even tell the difference between water and wine. We haven't run out of water. It's wine that we need. So they probably went to Jesus and said, it's not water we need, it's wine. And Jesus still said, fill them up. And they said, all right, we're going to do it, but we're going to charge you for labor if you don't get wine. So they go and do it. And it's not a matter of just opening the pipe and putting it in there. They didn't have <coughs> that sort of facilities at the time, so they had to go and draw water. Now imagine, for that, that huge amount of water that they needed, it would have taken a bit of time. But they did it. Faith in action. It's not just, oh, Jesus will do it and he'll sort it but it also calls us to do things that may sound irrational. He will call us to do things that at the time to people around us may look a bit, hmm, I'm going to question that. It doesn't look right. It doesn't make sense. But that's how Jesus does it. If he's called you to do it, if you know it's him, then go and do it. People move from one continent to another. People move from one culture to another. People sacrifice things. People give things that are really close and dear to them because they know that God has called them. And we have many examples, historically in this nation, but also in here as well, in this very room. We have examples of how people have given sacrificially. We have examples of people who have moved and uprooted their own family from one place to another to either come and join us here or to go from here to a place where God has called them to. That is faith in action. People who are supporting particular ministries that are going on, that some of you may think it's just a waste of time. But it's what God has called us to. And that requires faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So, the servants go and do it. And guess what happens? Jesus is there, and some unusual stuff happens. Some things that were irrational, they turn out to be a sign. Things that shouldn't usually happen. If you put water... In a jar, you expect to get water out of it. But Jesus is about transformation. He transforms things. He transforms you and I. <laughs> He's into that business. Mary, in all humbleness, had faith. The servants went and did it. And Jesus played his part. Now, let me tell you, this wedding, this particular wedding, is pointing to something greater. In fact, every wedding points to something greater. Whether you like weddings or not, you're going to be involved in one if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Him. 
whether you enjoy them or you just think, oh, they're too loud, or I actually don't want to go in there because I've got better things to do, you better change your mind because you are going to be invited to one. In fact, the invitation is already out there and you're going, you're going to be involved in it. You can't just sit around thinking, oh, I'll find somebody who thinks the same as me, who doesn't like weddings, and we just sit down and we'll have a sip of wine or a cup of tea, which is the answer to all troubles in the world, and a biscuit and some food, and we'll just carry on. No, you can't. You will be involved in it if you believe in Jesus. Because we're reading Revelation that there is a wedding, the wedding of the Lamb, Jesus Christ Himself, and the bride, guess who's the bride? Now, guys, don't worry about this. I've really struggled with it. But the bride is the church. Now, if you're a guy thinking, I'm part of the church, I'm part of the body, and I really believe in it, don't worry. This is a picture of who Jesus is, how he looks at the church, and what's going to happen in eternity. There's going to be loud celebrations. There's going to be praises and honors going to the bride. There's going to be time of celebration, never-ending, singing hallelujah as we were singing now. There's going to be a time where we don't have to worry about being ashamed and embarrassed. There's going to be a time where every tear is being wiped away from our eyes. There will be no tears. There will be no embarrassment. There will be no worries about the number of guests. There will be no worries about the wine running out because He is in control. Now, some of you in here may feel like that. You may feel embarrassed and ashamed for some of the things that you know about. As we heard amongst the contributions that were being brought as well, God sorted Adam and Eve out with their embarrassment. They knew they were naked. God didn't kick him out naked. He said, yes, you can't be in my presence because I'm holy and you're unholy and your foes are unholy, but I'm just not going to leave you there. I'm going to clothe you. But not only that, God didn't just give them clothes and say, get on your way and out there. He's also given something far greater. God has given his own son so that the shame and embarrassment that we have are not ours anymore to carry so that his son would take them up for us. What's the difference between him and us taking them and carrying them? He is the son of God, and he is able to deal with them. He has paid a price for them. He's paid a price for you and I. We read in Revelation, he has purchased us with his blood, not in pounds or pences, but in his blood. And what marks him out is his holiness. Now, if you don't know him today, I want to encourage you to take that step forward and get to know him. If you feel so burdened with the weight of sin and shame, with the weight that is on your shoulders, that you can't even celebrate, even when you're in a wedding, even when you think about the ultimate wedding coming on, then I've got the answer for you. Jesus Christ himself is there to save you from that. The Spirit of God will come and liberate you. He will take the chains off you. And He will transform you. He turned the water into wine. He can turn us into people who are free, lifting up our hands. Can I ask the band to come up, if that's all right, please? We're going to have a time of ministry at the end where we can pray for one another. You don't necessarily have to share with us what is it that is feeling heavy on you. What is it that's really gripping your heart? What is it that's not allowing you to come forward before the King of Kings? What is it that doesn't allow you 
to call Jesus your friend, your best friend. You just need to bring it before him and lay it at his foot and say, it's all yours. <coughs> and in return, he will free you. He will take the chains away. And there's no strings attached. We don't read that in that wedding. He went to the groom and said, look, you've got to pay me. You can pay installments later, but, and then you've got to talk to every single person about it, about what I did, because I need some publicity. There was no strings attached. He did it so that it would be a sign. John himself tells us at the end of his gospel that there were many more signs that if we write them down, the whole world is not going to be able to contain them. But we've just put these down in here so that you know He is God. There's just enough for, for us there to know that He is God. And this was a sign, a miracle with an added message. And this was a sign that's not limited to that time, to that era. It's not a miracle that is limited to that time. Jesus said He will continue to do this in our lives. So if you want to be transformed with no strings attached, if you feel the need of being free from what's keeping you back, then come to Jesus. He will give you life and life in abundance. Should we all stand up? And as we stand up, can I ask the ministry team to go to the sides now, please? If you'd like to walk to the sides. We're going to continue with the song, continue our worship with that. And if you'd like to be prayed for, I want to encourage you, as we start singing, go to one of these guys. Go to one of the ladies out there and ask them to pray for you. We ask that men pray with men and women pray with women. But I want to encourage you, if you're unsure about it, if you think, well, I'm, I'd like to be prayed for, but I'm just not sure, go out there and let them pray for you. There's nothing that we can give you but the God that we worship. It's the presence of God and the Spirit of God that comes. So I want to encourage you to go out and be prayed for. Let's continue in worship.